This is a WTF podcast experience. Often in the past where people are too quick to come in and feel the pressure to add some value and actually you don't have enough context um, around a situation. So much better first, I think, to understand and come from some sort of point of understand, position of understanding um, before you start yeah, trying to set the world on fire. A collection of ferrets is called a business, and here on New Zealand's most awarding business podcast, we tame the ferrets once and for all. We welcome entrepreneurs, leaders, inspirational figureheads to inform, educate, motivate, and inspire. My name is Freddie Bennett. I'm an Englishman in New Zealand. I'm an entrepreneur, author, world record holder, and a wannabe podcast host. And today, everybody, we have a real treat for you, welcoming into the world-famous WTF Studios, we have Colin Bond, Chief Executive of the New Zealand Kiwi Fruit Growers Incorporated. Colin, welcome to Taming the Ferrets. Good morning. Thank you. Great to be here. What an introduction. I know. It's, uh, it's early in the morning here in, in our recording, or relatively early. And yeah, it's always good to, to be woken up with, <laughs> with a powerful introduction. Coffee and passion. Love it. Exactly. It's a great way to start the day. Um, so, so Colin, welcome to Taming the Ferrets. For anyone that, that hasn't heard of you or, or heard of your business, tell us a bit about yourself. Yep, sure. Well, I should really start by saying I'm a husband, father of three, and also a chief executive. I make sure there's balance in my, in my life and, and refer to the important, most important people. Uh, so, yes, I'm the, the, my day job as chief executive of New Zealand Kiwi Fruit Growers. Uh, so, we have the, the pleasure of representing all of New Zealand's kiwi fruit growers. Um, so, we're an advocacy body. Uh, most of our time is spent down in Wellington advocating for issues that are important to growers. And also inside our industry, we have uh, the benefit of an SPE or a single desk model in Desperate. Uh, so a big part of our job too is making sure that growers are maximising um, benefits from the SPE model. Perfect. And how how did you get into to, to kiwi fruit? Was it a, a, a young or a, a well held passion from from when you were younger? And how how did this all come about? Dumb luck. <laughs> I'm like, so I, uh, I'm, I'm an Ashburton Bogan originally, mm. uh, moved up to the Bay of Plenty about a dozen years ago. Uh, I was had, had a career in banking and moved up to have a crack at people leadership and I thought well, if I'm no good at it I'll just go back to Christchurch and no one will even know and I'll get back to my previous job. Uh, but we, uh, the Bay of Plenty is a hard place to leave. Uh, so we've, we've been here as I say nearly 12 years now, six years ago. We bought a kiwi fruit orchard. We were looking for just a, a lifestyle property um, and you know, some area where the kids could run around. And my wife and I are both from farming backgrounds. Mm. And uh, a friend of mine said to me, why don't you look at buying a kiwi fruit orchard? So we did. So that got me really interested in the industry. Uh, and then through my banking role, we had a lot of uh, agriculture clients and kiwi fruit clients. Uh, and I really recognise the, the opportunity that New Zealand kiwi fruit growers have. We're producing a fantastic product, you know, delivering in the last few years, delivering vitamin C to the world during a global pandemic. Mm. Uh, there's something really rewarding in that. Uh, so I, I, I was really, um, uh, yeah, and inspired by what I saw in the industry. And fortunately, uh, an opportunity came up 18 months ago to um, to to do what I think is the best role in the industry, and that is being chief executive of the organisation that represents growers. Yeah, so That's, it's, uh, uh, it has been dumb luck, but it's been extremely rewarding. 
And I'm I'm going to come back to to that phrase, um, dumb luck, because I I love it, and we'll we'll come on to that shortly. To to rewind slightly, how how did it feel going from a and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe a, a quite safe, secure, um, well rewarding role in banking, mm-hmm. and deciding to almost step out of your comfort zone and go into yeah, a new place, a new role, a different type of focus, a different type of focus. Was there any fear? Was it excitement? Was it something that you always wanted to do? Uh, it was. <clears throat> I'm trying to find some some words for it. It was, yeah, all, all of those things you mentioned. It was pretty scary. I, I'd had to say 20 years in, a, in, in, a, in the finance sector. I was comfortable. Um, I had good career prospects there. I enjoyed the job I was doing. I enjoyed the people I worked with. Uh, but there was just this this itch that I couldn't scratch around wanting to do something else and challenge myself. Uh, I'd, whilst I'd had 20 years in the bank, I'd also been changing roles every every couple of years. Mm. I don't like routine. Um, I don't like being inside a comfort zone. Uh, and so this job was was a big challenge, mainly because of the, the, the family and outside of life, life aspects, because mm. that was comfortable. I had good balance. And I was, I guess I was risking that a little bit by stepping into a new industry and a new role and I have high expectations of myself, so it was important I, I fully committed to the new role. Mm. Uh, but no, no regrets, no regrets, as, as the tattoo <laughs> says. Um, it's um, it's been I wouldn't say enjoyable, but it's been extremely rewarding. Um, mm. One of the best decisions I made. Uh, a bit like moving up from from the, the South Island to the North Island. You know those things, moving away from family and friends, and all things that are. Um, that are safe and knowing mm. you know, getting outside your comfort zone is where the growth happens so that's I love that we give to our kids um, and so you know I want to be able to live that and have them see it too I love that and uh, it's something I can obviously relate to as as people have hopefully gathered by now me not being a born and bred Kiwi it was exactly the same here we um 18 months ago for me we'd left everything that we knew all the comfort all the safety all the security all the support network because I think when, as you, you mentioned it so well, when when you have that itch, when you have that desire that I want to go in and just do something different and see what's out there and challenge myself. Because I think a lot of people have that, but not a lot of people follow it because I say, we, we probably know this, but when we want the change and then we say, ah, yes, but it's not the right time or wait till the economy's better or the pandemic's over or wait till the kids are older. There's always something where we can give ourselves an excuse, but but you did it. And I think that is mm. such an inspirational thing. Mm. Um, especially in those early days, did you ever have the moments when you were thinking, this isn't going to work out, maybe we should just go back and, and say we, it, it was going to be a mistake? Uh, well, certainly the first six months. So I joined in May last year. Up until Christmas, it was, it was swimming in the deep end. No, no, no doubt about that. Um, but there wasn't a point where I thought I've made the wrong decision. It was more, I've made the decision, I've got to commit to the decision. It was always going to be hard, um, but that's where the growth happens mm. and fight through it um, and you know, and good things will come from it. And that, that's what's happened. And, you know, and the advice I got at the time was it's going to take you two years mm. to get your feet under the desk and really understand and learn the role in the industry. I don't have the patience for two years, uh, but they were they were right. It probably took the best part of 12 months, really, mm. for me to get some sort of handle on the industry um, and to get to a point where you're really starting to feel like you're adding value mm. um, to growers, adding value to your staff, and getting a little bit of balance back. 
and the other things in your life too. Definitely, and it's a great point because when say when you've you've moved up here, you, you've got the orchard, you're now getting involved in the industry. Mm. That's a big step, um, and I think as without breaking too many rules, I would say as we tend to get older, the stereotype is that we find it more difficult to, to learn new skills and, and take on new things and we're, we're not like children where we can just pick up something and run with it and did you find that a real challenge as I say to, to be in this new industry with literally an orchard full of kiwi fruit saying well what what do we do now? Uh, yes because most of the meetings I was going into for the first 12 months or in fact all of the meetings I was going into were full of uh, a room full of people who had been in the industry for a very long time. So I, whilst I was learning and reacting to what was happening in the short term, I was in a room full of people who'd seen it all before. These things all go in cycles. Mm. You know, we're having some challenging problems this year with the quality of our kiwi fruit, but we've been looking through the archives, and you can find this happening every three or four years. Mm. So it's just this constant balance of respecting the past and learning from the past and respecting the voices in the room that have seen it before, mm but also recognising that if we deliver the same response, we're not going to get any better. Mm. So it's balancing that, yeah, respecting the past, but also having the um, the bandwidth to accept new ideas and challenge conventional thinking so Definitely. that actually we can try and move forward. And, and next time when we have a, a quality challenge, we've gone forward and we can react quicker. Um, or In the perfect world, we wouldn't have a quality challenge again because we've solved all the problems, mm. unlikely in the horticulture industry. <laughs> Uh, but at least if we can learn and get better um, and, and at the end of the day protect growers' businesses, um, then I think that's, that's, that's a, we can have some confidence we're heading in the right direction. Mm. Uh, there's a, uh, a phrase that I, I'm sure I'm going to get wrong, but it goes something along the lines of if you realise you're the smartest person in the room, then you need to put yourself in a different room. Yeah. I love the way that you, you literally did that in terms of going into, into the new rooms with, uh, with a new industry and a new skill set. And, and on that, what attributes do you think is, is, is most important when you find yourself in that environment, when you're trying to, say, as they, another phrase, when they try to, to build the plane as it's taking off down the runway, as you're trying to, to, to learn and also be a success and, and grow the orchard, what, what skills do you think were, were most important? I, I think like most things in life, it comes back to values and the things you were taught when you were young. Yeah, and the whole adage of you've got one mouth and two ears is no more important than when you're entering a new industry full of and surrounding surrounded by people who've all been there and done it. You know, so I, I I'm a big Stephen Covey follower as well. I you know, believe in first seek to understand. So that's definitely what I practiced um, mm. for those first six months was um, listening, spending most of my time listening, asking good questions about what people's perspective on current issues were asking their perspectives on KGI and what they felt our role was in the industry. Um, and then you build on that. You know, again, I'm, I'm impatient, but you've still got to make sure that you're taking that time at the start to listen. Um, build relationships, build networks, know where to go to if you're not sure of um, a situation where you need an answer. Um, and then <clears throat> you, it comes a point where you can turn the tables a bit more and you feel like you can start to add a bit more value, challenge some conventional thinking and start contributing your own ideas and the benefits then of a fresh pair of eyes. Mm. But I think you, um, and I've seen it often in the past, where people are too quick to come in and feel the pressure to add some value, and actually you don't have enough context 
um, around a situation. So much better first, I think, to understand and come from some sort of point of understand, position of understanding um, before you start yeah, trying to set the world on fire. And do you think that comes from a position of, of self-confidence? Because I've, I've worked with a lot of people like that and they, yeah, they want to run in and they say, oh, you know, just fake it till you make it is one phrase that we always hear or they want to just get to know everyone and, and I, I see it happen and, and they end up doing more harm than good. And, and do you think for you it came from that place where I know, I know I've got this, I know I've, I've got skills, but this is just a time to, as you say, to, to understand and to absorb and to learn. Uh, I think it's just a, um, I don't think it comes down to respect. You know, I go back to to what what your parents teach you, and it's about respecting the fact that the, the respecting the voice, other voices in the room, um, respecting the fact that they've seen a lot of this before, um, and keep. I, I keep thinking about the growers and what's the best way that I can add value to them, um, and it's not by having the biggest ego in the room and being the biggest voice in the room. Um, it is about listening to perspectives um, and then trying to, uh, with 2,800 growers, working through all of those various perspectives to find the best way forward for everyone. Mm. Um, so is it is it um, about putting your ego aside? I, I don't have an ego <laughs> um, to, to put aside. Um, I just think it's about um, doing what you feel is the right thing to be doing in the situation. Mm. Yeah. And we, I now want to unpack the the phrase that you were saying earlier on about about dumb luck and being in the chief executive role. And we've we've said this a number of times on the podcast that we're big believers that you make your own luck in in these situations. And uh, firstly, if you can, how how did that journey go from 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 the orchard to to the chief executive role? Were were you approached for it? Is is it something that you said? Look, I, did you always have that ambition to have that that leadership position within the industry? Uh, <clears throat> I've no well my wife I would say I was I'm not an ambitious person but if my wife was listening she would say well no actually <laughs> you, you you are um, I have an, I have an ambition to add value mm. I, I, I believe we're only here once um, and you know life's not a dress rehearsal and you want you want to be able to make a difference in fact it's our responsibility to make a difference that's that's the benefit that leadership positions mm. give you um, for the kiwi fruit industry, uh, I I had a leadership position in the banking world, um, so and I have you know I, I have a lot of um, gratitude for the leadership challenges I was given and the opportunities there and the training you know the formal training informal learning that goes on. Um, so I feel like I had the people skill set, and I just I just saw it for the ba- someone now based in the Bay of Plenty and wanted to give back to the Bay of Plenty. I just that saw the Kiwi fruit industry is such a great story. Now we're a two billion dollar contributor to the Bay of Plenty region. Huge growth opportunity in our in our newer gold and red varieties, and still an opportunity to keep enhancing the offering on the green variety. So I just saw this opportunity too. Um, I wanted to get involved in a growth industry. I wanted to get involved in an industry that was contributing so much to the Bay of Plenty. Mm. Um, and I wanted to keep challenging myself and, and keep learning and developing. Um, so how, how, did I, how did I actually get into the, the role? I, I was approached by a recruiter um, because I'd expressed an interest in another role in the industry a few years prior. I didn't get it. And then they um, tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, what about this one? Mm. Hmm. So I had to give it a little bit of thought. 
uh, but yeah, very pleased that I, I jumped in. I think it's always so interesting as well how by not getting certain opportunities, it does actually open up doors further down the line. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, there's there's been a few roles in my career that I've missed out on, but things happen for a reason. Mm. Absolutely, um, you know, um, including taking a job up up in the Bay Plenty, moving up from from Christchurch, best thing I ever did for our family. Mm. Um, and you know, so you just gotta, you have to at times think that, uh, or just recognise that things do happen for a reason. Take the learnings and bad days. I met a guy and. Uh, on a course in, in, in Australia a few, uh, quite a few years ago now, and he had two rules on life. And, and uh, one was, uh, life's a great big game and I just keep winning. And on bad days, he said, um, it's just it's just one, bad, one, one day in the big picture. Mm. And, I, and I like both of those things. Definitely. Uh, they're great. You know, bad things happen. Take your knocks, get up. You know, it's the amount of how many uh, punches in the face you can take and keep moving forward. Um, at the end of the day, all of our experiences make us better and make us who we are. You've just got to think about that, I think. And um, it's, a, it's a nice way to reflect on all the things that happened to us. I love that. And I think it is quite easy at the moment in, in the current state of the world. You think, you know, as a country, still coming out of COVID, there's still impacts on you know, supply chain, travel and so on. There's the political and you know, wartime situation in Europe. There's talk of economies and inflation and recession it's very easy and and i speak to a lot of business owners and they say look we we've just been battered these last few years and can we really take any more and i think it, it can be difficult when those bad days start to stack up to, to think ah oh, you know how can i keep winning if if i'm just getting hit again and again but i think it is important to to widen the time scales and think about the the next five or ten years, just to, to understand that things things can change. It does just take time. Uh, it looked through human history. Mm. You know, I spent, in my banking career, I spent a lot of time in investment markets. So I was a, an authorised financial advisor for, for a number of years. And we formed a, a relationship with a Swiss private bank called Von, Von Tobel. And the chair of Von Tobel was 94 years old, I think. Wow. This was around the time of the financial crisis. Um, and he simply said, this too shall pass. Mm. You know, he was 94 years old. He had lived through great wars, um, you know, would have been born during the Great Depression, mm. um, oil shocks, housing crises, global pandemics probably in that time frame. Human history is littered with it. Mm. So it will be fine. You know, all, all of the talk at the moment about OCRs going up to to four point two five percent. You know, you go back ten years, and the average uh, or the um, sort of neutral level was six percent. We've had seen all of this before. Mm. Um, it could always be worse. In the eighties, we had twenty percent inflation, and our you know, my parents' generation lived through that, and they got through it. It'll be fine. It'll Definitely. be fine. It'll absolutely be fine. There's, um, and you, it's always about context for me too. As bad as life is, there's always someone else doing it tougher. Mm. Um, and, it, and and as bad as life, as life can appear, there's always some good things to hold on to too. I love that. And I think that that perspective and, and that gratitude is so important. And I mentioned this on a recent episode, but there was, I hate to use the, the phrase, high-performing individuals, but, but I think it does does imply to a, to a lot of people we, we have on the podcast there's always a temptation, uh, I heard, to, to look to the future too much because we're always thinking about the next strategy, the next goal, the next target, the next 
hurdle that we want to overcome, the next challenge and so on. And that means we can potentially um, be susceptible to, to not living in the moment and having gratitude for what we have. And is that something that, that you, you've experienced? Are you very good at thinking, let's, yeah, let's just focus on, on the great things that are happening today? Uh, it's what I've learned, mm. you know, so <laughs> easier said than done. Um, and I think people can have this perception and then look at others and go, well, they, they just handle things so well. But most people are, are a duck on the water paddling mm. pretty hard underneath. Life is not easy for anybody, really. No. Um, but people have a choice. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I've learned this the hard way over the years and I'm still learning it and we still have, still have bad days. Um, but um, it's important to, to, to remain grounded, um, surround yourself with good people um, and give back. Mm. Uh, my, the, the balance I have in my life is, is, is um, giving back to my kids. I'm involved in a few um, not-for-profit organisations. You know, I, I coach sports teams. Mm. Those are the things that can give you energy and add some positivity. When you've, and, and you're in control of those things. Mm. I am a big believer in too, and in, in, in the benefit of giving back, and the and the and actually, the more you give, the more you receive. Um, is is absolutely true. I think. Definitely. And I think it does take some discipline in, in doing that. And it sounds so weird to say it because I'm the same. You know, my, I try and get involved in my kids' sports. I've, I've funnily enough, I've, my, one of my kids does karate. And I've, because he was, you know, he was going a bit kind of, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm getting a bit bored. So I was like, no, it's a good commitment for discipline. So I stupidly said, I'm going to do karate with you. And so I found myself last week with my suit and my white belt on in a class full of seven year olds feeling ridiculous and in the back of my head I was thinking I could be doing emails right now there's you, know, you think about your deliverables and your to-do list and your emails but then I read that there's always going to be stuff that we could do with work there's always going to be a, it, it never stops the, 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 even if it did stop many people and I think in the business world that we'll find something a, a new project a new initiative but to actually have that discipline to say no this is time with my kids or time with my hobbies it's um it's weird to say that it does take practice but but i think that's the case is, is that something that you found yeah yeah it does yeah e easier said than done and i don't get it perfect i would love to spend more time with my wife and more time with my kids mm. um but you know in your situation it, it it would have been the best thing you did last week mm. whether you recognize it or not at the time that room full of kids will always remember the 40-year-old man <laughs> in the room. They <laughs> did. Hopefully a foot taller than everybody else. Yeah. Um, try, trying to do karate, you know, mm. so the impact that has on your own, your own children and everybody else in the room, mm. that stuff is, you know, you should find extremely rewarding. Definitely, and, and it does. And I think it's, in the business world, we could all get so caught up in the stuff. And um, again, another phrase that I read recently and it sounds slightly morbid, but but someone will say, look, if you know, when when you die, if you had your funeral, there will be people that will turn around and say, sorry, I can't make it. They'll they'll come to your funeral, then they'll be driving home thinking about their own lives and their to do list. And the the sad fact is that so much of what we I believe we stress about isn't really important in terms of as on the time scale again of five, ten, hundred years. It's just about focusing on what we can do and and, and living that that best life. Yeah, 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 it absolutely is. Um, I lost my train of thought because I, I wanted to ask you about why you're a world record holder. 
can we just cover that off? We can do definitely. I always say it's um, it's uh, it's not my podcast, Colin. It's yours, but we can we can have a discussion. Um, so I um, so I am currently in the Guinness Book of Work, the Guinness Book of Records, um, for running the fastest marathon ever on the planet, dressed as a fisherman. <laughs> dressed as a fisherman. Dressed as a fisherman. Why so. Is? Uh, yep, waders, oh. um, full-on, deadliest catch, the waterproof trousers, the jacket, and everything else. And um, and that came across, and uh, well, this is great, uh, this is quite nice, answering the questions for once. Um, and again, the fact that that came across um, for through my kids, because I, uh, I worked in a high-powered corporate career. This was back in the UK. You know, I, had, I was working with clients like Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Heineken, a lot of um, fast-moving consumer goods companies, and, mm. and I reached that stage in my life where you know, I was kind of mid-thirties, well rewarded but not particularly fulfilled. I had that feeling as well that I I believed I was put on the planet to do more than just drive a Porsche. At the time, I do miss that car, but um, <laughs> we, yeah, just to kind of go to work, get rewarded, and then I was thinking, well, this this is it, and then you know, I, I can't just do this until I retire. So. I went on the journey, as they like to say, and I, you know, I was, I used to be overweight and stressed and depressed and everything else. I, I started, I went from couldn't run around the block to running the world's toughest ultra marathon, which was 300 kilometers through the Sahara Desert, okay. um, seven marathons in six days. So I did that and you know, went on my journey through the desert, as they say, the exodus, and uh, you know, came back with the medal and I was going to my kids, you know. You do the media stuff and go into the schools and do the interviews. And then I was like, kids, are you proud of me? Are you proud of your dad? And they were like, no, not really, daddy. And I was like, oh, okay. And because they'd got the Guinness Book of Records for uh, for Christmas, my kids were like, we want you to break a Guinness World Record now. I was like, right, okay. And because we lived in Liverpool at the time, which is like a you know, fishing town, it's a proud maritime city, they were like, daddy, you could be the world's fastest fisherman. And you kind of go, yeah, and you pat them on the head and you say, yeah, okay, they'll forget about that. But they didn't. And every day they were like, daddy, well, fisherman, fisherman. Dad. So I was like, right, okay. And I, for some weird reason, I had to, well, I was going to say, wrote off the Guinness Book of Records, emailed them, forgot about it. Then they emailed back and they said, right, it's on. So I hadn't even signed up for a marathon at that stage. So I had to sign up for a marathon, <laughs> buy this outfit of, yeah, like the, the massive waders, the, the yellow waterproofs. I had to carry a three kilo fishing box the whole time. And, um, and yeah, and I always say it's a, it's a crazy story because there's so many metaphors in there about like starting a journey and not feeling ready. Um, everyone laughing at me. There's there's no feeling like standing on the start line of a marathon with twenty thousand people just laughing at you. Some found it funny, but a lot of people were like, "You're stupid. You're going to fail. You look ridiculous." And like so many challenges in our life, when when you have that that dream and someone taps you on the shoulder and they say, "Are you sure? Because you might. You're probably going to fail this. Why don't you just play it safe? Like you know, everyone's had a good time. Play it safe. Just say it's not the right time. But I thought I'm going to do it and. I took that first step and the second step and then my toenails fell off halfway through and, and the damage it does to your feet running 20, <laughs> 26 miles in the, in that footwear is not good. But, um, but yeah, but I, I crossed the, the line and what was it four hours, 37 minutes, oh, four thirty-seven. I'm writing that down Four thirty-seven. Yeah. Just so I know what time to be. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By all means, anyone is, I'm not never doing it again. So, um, so yeah, someone is, is welcome for it. But, um, but yeah, that was, uh, so that, that was my world record. And, um, 
I, say, I talk to, to kids a lot about that now, and I go into schools and everything. So it gets a bit of a laugh as well because it's not uh, it's not too. Because I, I say I'm, I'm not a runner, but I always say people can do the things that they thought they couldn't do, mm-hmm. and, and everyday people can do extraordinary things. And, and I believe that in all aspects of our life, and that's why we we do these messages as well um, because it is for for business owners. But I know there's a lot of people out there that have got the dream to start a business or move industries or people who say I'd love to be a CEO one day but I don't believe I could do it or I don't have the contacts or the connections and and, and that's so much of of what personally drives me because I think yeah, it's such a tragedy for, for people to, to sit there and, and have that unfulfilled potential to say to, to be wanting to add value to have that ambition to add value and not have the tool set the mindset the opportunity to do it um, we say it, it, it's that's a, a long winded answer to, to where the world record came from but um but yeah it's i think that we always have a chance to to, to hopefully make a positive difference in in the world yeah i, I think so and you know it's people always are in these interviews as well they you know, what, what what do you do well uh, it's, it's not who i am though it's my job right so i'm a, I'm, I'm a chief executive yes but i'm I'm an expert in Bogan. I'm just I'm the same person I was um, mm. when I was at primary school. I've got more experiences around me and a wider network of people. Um, but it's it's what I do, not who I am. Mm. You know? uh, so it's 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 just a title. Um, but if I'm successful in that role, it'll be because of the people around me ultimately, um, and that's the reward I'll get is helping them to my staff to achieve, and the growers in our industry to achieve. Um, you know, and, and in terms of taking a chance, what's the worst thing that can happen? Mm. Quite literally, what is the worst thing that can happen? You know, I'd change careers. What what would have been a worst case outcome? Um, I wouldn't have been successful as uh, the CEO. Still might not be. Jury's mm. out. <laughs> Eighteen months in, um, but I've learned and I've got better. Mm. And even if I'm not successful at this job, it will make me more successful in the next job because I've had these experiences mm. you know Guinness World Record is a book is a classic it's, it's it's a book entirely full of people who chose not to be ordinary and give something a go mm. great and good on them exactly. no one's ever going to take your world record away from you well someone might I might do it <laughs> they will one day <laughs> but you still you, know, you, you still did it you know? mm. you send that message to your kids as well um, you know and that's that's what people remember on your deathbed it won't be the titles won't be the jobs you've done. It's, it's it will be very much be the, how people how you made people feel. I believe in that too. No, I love that. And maybe it's a difficult question, but it's probably a personal question as well. But I was going to say coming from the banking industry, but I do think this applies to to all industries. Do you think people are, are living up to their potential? Do you think there's a lot of people out there who are potentially operating below what they're capable of maybe because they're scared or they just don't know how to how to take that step to, to where they want to be uh well everybody's capable of doing more mm. but not everybody has the desire to do more so you know um there's nothing i don't think there's anything wrong with unfulfilled potential if people don't have the desire to do more than what they're doing mm. at times i envy people who have been doing the same job for 20 years, mm. living, a com- living a comfortable life, because that's what suits them. 
you know, it, it is tiring wanting to do more mm. <laughs> and push yourself. Uh, I know that and, feeling you know, very well. It is, it is tiring, um, but it's also rewarding. Mm. Um, and that suits me and it suits some people and it doesn't suit others and that's and that's fine. Um, so I think the <clears throat> it's, it's regrets, isn't it? So if you do have the desire to want to do more and you aren't, well, then there's a risk you're going to regret it. Mm. So, so take the leap, take a step. Well, so what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Life is never as bad as anything you think could happen. It never ends up as bad as mm. that. Um, so no, take a chance, absolutely take a chance. Um, but it also doesn't have to be for everyone. You know, mm. What's right for you doesn't need to be right for everybody else and vice versa. I, I totally agree with that. And again, I think back to, to moving out here to New Zealand and when we were leaving the UK, you know, we, we left the UK in, in lockdown so we couldn't even hug our parents goodbye or anything like that and but so many people said to us like oh I'd love to do that oh I'd love to go to New Zealand oh it's beautiful country oh I'm so jealous and they're like well why don't you and they oh it's not the right time and and say it wasn't it wasn't the right time for us like I say same with things like having kids or potentially getting married there's never a perfect time you have to make it the right time yeah absolutely there, there is never the right time mm. for anything as you say, having kids, job changes, change of location. Um, you've just got to do it and, mm. and keep moving forward. Uh, and you, and in my experience in life, you, you won't regret taking a chance mm. at all. Yeah. So if people are sitting there and listening and thinking, yeah, they've got this bucket list of things, then start ticking it off. And mm. as I learn in life, put it in your calendar, make it happen. You know, as if, you know, we're so busy in life these days. If you really want to do something, then it's got to be in your calendar. It's got to be intentional. That's the first step. Definitely. I uh, I, was, I was running a workshop with some clients um, earlier earlier this week, and we were looking at calendars. And they, as I say most people have got big chunks of white space on their calendar, even if they if they have a calendar at all. And and I always say, if you don't put something in there, then then life's going to fill it with something and it probably won't be what your priority is it'll be someone else's priority it'll be emails if you don't have purpose and, and intention in your day it will be filled with emails and mm. somebody else's priorities absolutely yeah as they say it's uh, to, to use another phrase it's life's too short to be living someone else's dream yeah. and then i think if, if we don't take control because it's so easy to be especially with email and phones and everything just to be pulled in a hundred different directions yeah, I mean, how how do you keep focus? Can I imagine in, in this chief executive role and with everything else you're doing, in life, you must have so many people just saying, oh, "Can I have five minutes?" Or can we can you just take a look at this? Or can we just do? How do you keep that that focus? Uh, well, I'm always learning. I'm not perfect at it, um, and I, you know, I, I I struggle to say no. So I'm if people want my time, I give it to them. Um, but that also means that there's consequences for that. So the consequences are either my family suffer because I end up working later and I don't see them, or the most important things that I need to do don't get done. Mm. So the, living inside your calendar is so important. You know, putting in putting in the calendar the things that will make the biggest difference for growers. You know, thinking forward. Using golf analogies a lot lately, but you've got to have this this long game and a short game. Mm. So people go to the driving range and practice, practice, practice their drives. Um, but you've got to be able to putt. It doesn't matter how good you are at driving. Mm. 
and that's the same with managing calendar and managing life. And it's a, it's a, I found the same thing in business as well. You can focus just on what's front of you, in front of you all the time, the burning platforms, and you need to do that, so mm. that's your putting game. But you've also got to be thinking about the strategy in the long term and where you want to be going, and that's the driving game. Mm. And the most successful players have both. Definitely. You know, so that's, and that, again, I think that starts with, with, with calendar management and time management. Mm. You know, I, I was asked the question the other day, um, what's your biggest challenge? It's time. It's absolutely time. Mm. And you either you, there are only, are only twenty four hours in the day. I need to sleep for eight of them. Some mm. can get away with less. I can't. <laughs> um, I need to exercise. I need to see my wife and family. So that leaves me so many hours left for mm. work. So I have to be as effective as I can using those, or I'm compromising everywhere else. Mm. Um, so yeah, the biggest skill to me is just managing your time. And that's so powerful. And I love the way that you. You reframe that because, again, this is speaking from experience, a lot of people, myself included, were in that position where it was work as much as is you can, family, hopefully, exercise maybe, and then whatever's left, sleep for a few hours. And then you get up and you do it again and again. And, and, and being in this pattern I often talk about where you, you go to bed every night and you feel like you didn't do enough. And then you wake up in the morning and you feel like you didn't sleep enough. And it's just that again and again and again. Um, but I love the way that you're saying, look after yourself first, because if, if you fall apart, none of the other stuff happens. Family always comes first. And then it's about how can I be as productive as possible in, in that window that I have for, for working. Yeah, that's right. So it's that, um, again, it's Stephen Covey, um, you're focusing on your productive capability not your productivity mm. you know so you you um, and you know maslow's hierarchy of needs i use some of these well this actually was paying attention at university in some of these management courses mm. which I hung over most of the time <laughs> uh, but it's so right you, know, you have to get your the bottom part of your pyramid stable you've got to have that balance in your life the things that are important first before you ultimately achieve the top of the pyramid around self-actualization mm, right? definitely so it does start with sleep and health and looking after yourself and having strong relationships you need those things as a strong base to be able to perform at your best in mm. the rest of life and it's funny isn't it you look at the, the the base of the pyramid and i can't remember the exact order but you've got you know like Food, fuel, shelter, sleep. Mm. You don't see money in there at the bottom, but we all we all go and well, I say most of us do at least. We all say, all right, money's first, and then it's crazy how that drives. So again, job decisions, moving decisions, and I think this. If I think back personally, I never try and have regrets in life, but maybe the decisions that weren't the wisest decisions were usually the ones that were money driven in terms of career options and thinking out. I probably don't love this company, but the pay package is so good that I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna make myself like it. And I think focusing on what matters, what truly matters, in terms of you say the base of that pyramid, always results in in a better long term decision and a, and a more fulfilling life. Yeah, it does. So I learned that through uh, the Christchurch earthquakes. So mm. I was as in Christchurch just yeah, um, at the time of those big quakes, and uh, we were so I was managing a team of people. Um, wanting to do what they could for their customers because mm. everybody was challenged in that community at the time. But actually, the best thing um, I said to staff was you need to take a few days out to get yourself right first. Mm. Right? So you've got to make sure that you've got some shelter. 
you've got food, that the people who, uh, the loved ones in your life are okay. Mm. Make sure that you mentally have got all of that sorted and then you can be in a position where you can deliver to other people. Same with COVID as well. You've mm. got to give people permission to sort out the basics first. Yeah. Or, well, basics, but then priorities first and then they can be in a position where they can add value to other people. Mm. Um, and I see that in our, in our industry and you know, we're offering um, a lot of short-term seasonal jobs for people um, and there's some conflict at times with that. But um, we, what am I trying to say? The, um, I, I see this conflict all the time. People get frustrated with their workers not working um, as effectively as they could. Mm. But actually some of those people don't have the basics of their pyramid right in their yeah. life. They are worried about where they're going to sleep at night. Have they got enough money? What are they going to eat? What are their kids going to eat? Mm. There's so much instability in their lives Mm. that it's hard for them to actually add value at work the way we'd like them to add value. Recognising those things is a problem and thinking about how we can give those people a bit more certainty in their lives Mm. is something I think as employers we need to be thinking about more and more. I love that and I, I truly believe that many people in, in their careers, I think for a lot of it, it comes from, from a place of good intentions as well when they're just spinning their wheels so quickly and then they think the answer is just to work harder and work more and I think, well, it not only is it is it unproductive, I think it's also dangerous and it is, and I believe, a, a job of all leaders to say, look, this, there is another way to do it because ultimately, you know, we're we're not all in, uh, you know, in Wall Street in the nineteen eighties. You don't get prizes for, um, for for pure burnout or anything else. It's it is about making that that long ster- long term sustainable success. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. You know, think about that pyramid again. If that's that's your Everest self actualization at the top of that pyramid, does not come from earning a whole lot of money. Mm. For some people, it's a motivator, and and, the, and but it, it and it gets you another step up the pyramid. It will never get you to the top. No. Ever. So you've got there has to become a point in life where it's about um, if you want to get to that top of that pyramid the, and be the best that you can, you're gonna to have to take some risk. Mm. Right? Just like Hillary did, you're gonna to have to take a few steps out in the howling wind, um, in in the cold. Um, but that's the way to get to the top. Definitely. Know? And I'm, I'm there's, there's no regrets that come with that. No. I totally agree. Um and we're we're edging towards the end of the interview now, but you've spoke about the, the long game. Uh, being being important to, mm-hmm. to the success of your role, what do you, with a view on the long game, what do you see the the future of the of the kiwi fruit industry being, and and also what what your role in that uh, in that future might be? Yeah, well, I, I joined the industry because I see the long term opportunity for New Zealand mm-hmm. in producing you know, vitamin C for the world, you know, five million people producing enough food for forty million. Mm-hmm. If we do that right, that will always be a strategic advantage. Um, yes, some people, one day we might make food out of a petri dish and people might be happy buying that, but there's still going to be a certain portion of the pop, of the global population that wants to eat sustainably grown fruit mm. and vegetables. Um, so that's the, that's the long term for me, is making sure we continue to, um, to grow you know, a fantastic product for the world and make sure that business owners can be sustainable within that journey as well. Um, so I'm very much focused on um, making sure that we continue to innovate and come up with new products and making sure that our short-term challenges, which are labour, access to water, 
um, and the wider environment and climate change, those are the impediments to us achieving our long-term the, the long-term opportunity that we have. Uh, so automation and innovation is part of that. Um, understanding what our plants really need so that we're only giving them, um, so we're maximising all of our inputs. That keeps costs down maximize, and minimises our footprint on the planet. Mm. Um, all of these things are very important uh, but doable. Uh, some, t- some, some short-term wins, but um, I, I feel like we're on a really strong path as, as an industry. Um, and we we have the opportunity to deliver even more to New Zealand and even more to our employees and people across the globe, and that's pretty rewarding to think mm. about. Um, and it gets me excited, what makes me motivated to get out of bed every day. Um, so I think we're on the right path. It's about surrounding yourself with good people and knocking off the um, spending your day on the things that are going to add the most value. Definitely. I love that. And I think especially as you were saying that some of those um, yeah, potential challenges in the future, things like water, climate change, and, and so on. Uh, at the moment, challenges out of our control, and so it's all about how how we can react to them and how we can prepare for them and and, and use different strengths and, and skill sets to, to try and turn those challenges into opportunities, which I think is a good a good metaphor for life as well. Yeah, and we only all have, only have so much energy. Mm. So that again, that circle of influence versus circle of concern. Focus on the things that you can control that are going to add value to your long-term objective. Mm. All the other things we talk about, all the other, the, that long list you mentioned earlier of mm. things to worry about in the world, most of that we can't is outside no. of our control. Um, so focus on the things that when you get up in the morning, you can make a difference in. Mm. You know, spend your time and energy on that and the people around you and the people you care about. Um, and life will be great. I love that. Colin, that's a, a brilliant place to, to, to almost pause, but we do have the tradition here on Taming the Ferrets that we have the final secret question. And uh, here on, uh, on the desk, we have our secret question book. This tradition is that the previous guest gets to write a question for the next guest coming onto the podcast. So that on, on the bright side, um, you'll be able to do this for the next guest. So... I have not seen this question yet, so let's have a look. Ah, so, a nice simple one for you. What is your biggest challenge right now? Time. Easy one. Mm. Thank you to your previous guest. <laughs> the next guest is not going to be so lucky because I've got a better question. Uh, time. Definitely time. You know, um... It is making sure that I've got balance in my life and achieving the things that I want to achieve. Um, and it's you know wanting to be a good husband, good father, good leader of people, um, good CEO, and adding value to the industry. Mm. Um, and what's I very have high expectations. I deliver on all of those fronts. Um, and so the hardest thing to do is find time to do it all as well as I'd like to do it. So that's definitely my biggest challenge. I know, but well, hopefully there will be a. I'm going to try and shoehorn something in here. There will be time always to welcome you back to uh, to the studio, Colin, for, for a part two. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for, for all of your expertise and your, your stories and your insights. Um, if people want to, to get in touch with you, found more, find out more about KGI, how do they, how do they get in contact? Yeah, uh, website at kgi.org.nz um, is on there, and uh, my contact details are on there. I'm always happy to pick up the phone, have a chat to people about our industry and about leadership and people too. 
Perfect. Colin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here as a part of Taming the Ferrets, and we would love to have you back in the future as well. Great. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Like what you hear? Don't forget to follow us on social media at Taming the Ferrets and to give us five stars on your podcast provider. We're New Zealand's best kept secret, but don't be afraid of sharing us with the world. This has been a WTF experience. Discover more of your favourite shows and learn how to launch your very own podcast at wtfproductions.nz. 